Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody. Hope everyone had a good weekend. It's off to a good start for their week. I know I am. And I just realized I picked the wrong music for my background. But you know what? We're going to stick with it because it's good. All right. <laughs> a little lighter than normal, but no big deal. It's background <clears throat> anyways. So that being said, jumping right into today's topic. Um, no sponsors, no none of that today. Um, although the only thing I would say is, again, if you do get any value out of our content that we put out, please give us a like and a follow on you know, iTunes or Podbean, wherever you follow us. Uh, share us with a friend, give us a shout out, share us on social media. We really want to help as many people as we can and get the word out to all the stuff that we try to talk about to build, bringing, you know, you more information on how to run your fitness business better, how to be a better coach, you know, when you're in the gym with your clients, uh, as well as, you know, some fun stories and some, some, uh, factual uh, research that we're going to bring to you today. So anyhow, uh, jumping into today's topic, we're going to go uh, back a little bit. We're going to talk, kind of follow up. Um, you know, a lot of times when I do these podcasts, I sometimes I script them out. Sometimes it's just kind of like whatever I'm feeling, right? Um, but oftentimes, especially when I do one where I'm just kind of going off the cuff, I uh, I'll say things and then I'm reminded or I forget. I'm like, oh, I should have expounded on that or I should have explained that more in detail. And uh, today I just kind of want to follow up and, and flesh out a little bit more on one of the topics that we spoke about the other day. And that is, you know, when when do you know how to progress your clients? And we talked about, I like to use the two by two rule uh, rather than just straight percentages. And, and we kind of alluded to a study that talked about using RPE uh, as a way to help progress. Uh, so then you, you end up having, you know, people on a team, let's say you're training a team, you know, maybe progressing at different rates, but that's okay as long as we're all getting stronger. At the end of the training block, if everyone got stronger, it was a success. If everyone was lifting at the exact same percentage, that may be ideal, but if everyone is stronger than they were when we started, that's what we're after, right? Because we know everyone has individual differences. Uh, maxes may not have been recorded properly. You know, people change, they grow, they get stronger. You never know. And so those RPEs or the two by two, uh, those are some things that we've talked about. Two by two is what I like to use a lot. RPE is more uh, the study that we're talking about, more or gauging their um, intercession intensity to decide whether that's uh, uh should they move on or move up or how how hard should we make the next workout uh and it found that that was a very good way to do so so i wanted to expand a little bit more on that and not really talk about another method on how to progress athletes or or your clients but really are you getting the most out of them right and and a lot of that has to do with the intensities that you're putting on the bar or how hard you're having them run or how fast you're having them do a circuit, whatever the parameters may be. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, their goals and what they're after, right? But a, t a lot of times we run into an issue 
where either clients are chit chatty and sometimes we're guilty of that too or sometimes you know they they are feeling like they're working hard and they're sweating and, and you might even perceive them as working hard but you don't check in often enough and we're not really pushing them as much as we should so Again, what I generally like to do, because depending on whether it's a little different with teams than with our, our regular training clients, with our regular training clients, especially if they're brand new, we never, never max test anyone. That's not a huge, important deal to do early on. Now, if their goal is to get stronger, yeah, at some point we'll want to do either submaximal tests or true one rep max tests, something like that, but get a gauge of where we are <coughs> so that we can base our workout. So if they say, this is an eight on their RPE scale. I know I can have a number or a weight associated with that. Or if I want to give them 80%, I know exactly what that number is and how many reps they should be able to do. And then get a corresponding RPE to that so that we have even more data to know if we can push that client next or further uh, to the next thing. But ultimately, when we have teams and we have uh people coming in and you know we're not sure if we're really pushing them um you know we we can get those numbers at some point and we need to get those numbers at some point and so one of the things that i think is very important to do and uh what made me think about it was i was thinking about the rpe thing but uh from study the other day and i was just thinking today I've had a client who this is her third, maybe fourth week. So she's been here about a month and she moves very, very well. So like when we did our functional movement screen, everything was great. Uh, no real issues, no major issues, right? Uh, no, no one's perfect, but um, pretty good. Nothing that I really needed to worry about strength wise, um, extreme beginner, um, but highly motivated, highly um, intellectual when it came to understanding the movements and how to adjust her body. In other words, she was very, uh, or is very in tune with her body. So if I asked her to adjust something, she can do that very well. So uh, pretty much an ideal situation for a beginner, uh, as far as a coaching from the coaching aspect. So as we have continued to go, you know, she seems to kind of keep a good poker face. It's hard to tell whether I'm really pushing her hard or not. So obviously I should be checking in, right? I should just say, Hey, how you doing? Are these workouts hard? And if I'm getting RPEs back, that helps me to know that we're in the right ballpark. But now that it's been a little while, I decided to do some testing with her. I just kind of wanted to see where her strength was at so that I could know that my workouts are actually getting enough out of them. This particular client uh, main goal is to build muscle, to add size and definitely strength but definitely add some size to to her frame and so that's always a fun goal right um now we want to add good quality size so we're not talking like dirty bulking or anything like that just you know good old-fashioned strength strength training uh and some hypertrophy training and so the thought is i now have a definite goal or definite um uh, idea of where she is because I've been getting RPE since we started. Now I know about what she can lift maximally. We didn't do a true one rep max, just a slight sub max test. So the idea is I have now some 
really good data points so that I, my next workout for her uh, will probably be much harder than some of her other workouts, but they're going to be more efficient. They're going to be things that she can do and can complete based on all the data I have, but not, you know, our, you know, pounder in the ground. Cause we know, we know that that's not always the, the case. We don't have to leave someone dying on the floor to ensure a good workout, right? Hopefully we're not doing that. Hopefully that's not our mindset. So the point being, you want to use multiple data points. So, you know, we talked about RPE in that last study uh, or two episodes ago in, in episode 172, where we talked about having using that RPE to assess intercession um, intensity as a way to progress, as opposed to just using a pre-designed progression where it was just like week one, 75, week two, 80, then 85 and 90. And, and kind of the benefit to that, to the RPE over the the straight linear progression. Not that linear progressions aren't great. What we're talking about is just a predetermined one, regardless of how they perform during the lift. And that's where personal training versus strength and conditioning of teams becomes very different. Because in strength and conditioning, it's harder to do because there's usually one coach, maybe a couple assistants to a large number of people. So it's it's hard to make sure that you have your eyes on everybody in terms of how well they're doing, how their reps look, quality of reps, all of that. Uh, versus obviously your one-on-one -on -one client, which is very easy to, to spot and see that. So this becomes a, a way for the strength coach uh, to gather more and more data so that they can understand how that person is progressing. So if the person is writing down that I lifted you know, 100 pounds it was an RPE eight and it was technically around, so let's say 82% of my one RM. Okay, we might be in the right ballpark. We, we can, you know, and they hit all those reps and we might be able to progress to the next, you know, next week. Uh, Cause everything was right where it needed to be. But if, you know, if they told me it was an RPE five and it was 80% of their max and they, they buzzed through, you know, five, six reps, I might say, okay, um, you know, maybe we underestimated what their max was. Maybe their max wasn't um, sufficient. So that particular individual, if you've got a team, you're going to have to adjust a little bit. Now, this all may seem like we're adding a whole lot of extra work from the coaching aspect. And yeah, <laughs> we, we are, but that's okay, right? Because ultimately we're about getting results. So we don't want or we don't care, shouldn't care that that's going to take a little bit of extra time with a one on one client. It's very easy. Even if you have eight clients, it's easy to track that when you have three or four teams, each of which has 30 people, it becomes a higher or higher, a harder goal to master. However, using the data that's at your disposal will guarantee better results. And I do say guarantee you will get better results if the if you're more accurately using the data you have in front of you. And so the point of the, today's discussion is when you do whatever you use to track progress and to make decisions on how to progress the, the person or the team or individuals on the team to the next week, the best idea is to use more than one data point. And, and again, I know that seems 
very, very, very basic and very common sense. However, we all know that we get busy. Oh, they said RPE8, that's where they're supposed to be. Great, let's move them on. Or we're supposed to do 80%, you know, for five reps, four sets, boom, they hit them all. Okay, let's move them forward. Whereas they may have been all grinders in terrible form. And we, we should say, using that two by two, eh, maybe you should have stayed at 80% for the next week as well. Again, that will do them more benefit than pushing them forward when they're not ready. So again, it's just about using lots of data points. For, and I'll, I'll use another quick example. This is something that might make, make the point a little better. When we do our functional movement screen, and you guys have heard me talk about here, we don't do the actual FMS, we'll do more of a modified version, um, but we'll have several different tests, like an overhead squat, a regular squat, always PVC pipe, and then a lunge, very similar to what you'd see in the true FMS. And the reason we would do all those different motions is that we're looking for repeatable, repeated uh, areas of concern. So like if, if someone's squatting and their knees go in on the overhead squat, but not on the regular squat, okay, that says something to me. Why did they go in on the overhead, but not the other or not the regular squat? Or if they both went in on that and when they lunge, that's going to tell me tight adductors or weak VMOs or, you know, a combination of the two. But if we repeat this, if we get the same result on different tests that are just slightly different, but we're getting the same result, that strengthens my uh, assumption of what is wrong and what needs to be corrected on that FMS. So if I'm trying to progress an athlete or a client and I have multiple data, multiple data points pointing to this is easy, time to move on, then I can rest assured that I'm going to push my clients harder. They're going to get more out of each session. They're going to get to the results quicker and they're going to thank you for it and you're going to be a better coach. But that may seem like, yeah, that's the bare minimum. We should be doing that. And you're right. But like I said a minute ago, we don't always do that when we're busy. We all, we, sometimes we just use one data point when it's not hard to use another in conjunction. So again, take that for what it's worth. I think that's definitely a, uh, you know, something that we could all do better at. Uh, you know, video is another one. Video, video, videoing your clients or teams is another way. That's a third data point you could use. Like I said, it was they rated it easy, or they rated it right where it was supposed to be. They hit the number of reps they were supposed to hit, and they looked good doing it. Velo the the bar movement velocity, which we're going to talk about in our study today, looked good. So all three things say, yeah, this person's ready to move up and wait versus pushing them too much or holding them back for too long, right? Okay, so that leads me to uh, our next segment, story time with Uncle Pete. All right, I am gonna change story time with Uncle Pete. I don't really like that name anymore. <laughs> I used to think it was funny. Uh, now it just sound, sounds kind of creepy. So that'll be the last time you hear me say that. But story time, so using our example from you know how to progress clients and I and I've mentioned this this story before on the podcast um, but I'll talk a little bit more in depth about it one of my very very first clients um, not my actual number one client but one of the one of the first few that I had and it was definitely the first one I had at this particular gym um, was a gentleman who was at the time like 63 he was a former hockey player 
tall guy. He's like six foot two, big guy, over 200 pounds. Um, and you know, he looked just, just straight, straightforward, looked like a, a big guy who used to be very strong and athletic. And, and in fact, he was, he'd had multiple surgeries and I, I, I forget it's been so long as this has been over 20 years ago, but he had something along the lines of both knee replacements, a hip replacement, one or maybe both shoulder replacements. I mean, he'd had a lot uh, beat up from hockey and just, you know, a lot of, you know, hard living in terms of athleticism, just beat up his body. But he still wanted to be strong. And so we had a lot of limitations from from the dock. But within those limitations, we're working out and we're using a lot of machines. And that was, again, what I was asked to do from from the physician and the physical therapist to start them off on machines, not a lot of free weights. So we're doing this, we're getting, you know, and every rep, it seemed like he was just, it was the struggle of a lifetime. So I knew based on what we had tested and what we tested, he was lifting far below where we should. Like, in other words, on a machine, it's a little different than free weights, but you know, we were lifting weights that I thought he should be able to hit this, you know, maybe raise his heart rate up a little bit, but not be a struggle. But it seemed visually like it was a struggle. And if you asked his RPE, oh, that was like an eight or a nine. Like it was really hard, even though it wasn't supposed to be. So I was hesitant to move him up. Again, I was doing what I thought I was doing. I was using those data points, right, based on what he saw. But I wasn't using all of my data points or I wasn't paying attention to all the data points. So after maybe four through four weeks, same weights, never progressed. Every workout seemed like the hardest thing he'd ever done. And part of me was thinking, well, you know, this is the first client I've worked out with multiple joint replacements. You know, he, he's not too far out, out from his last one, which was a hip replacement. I mean, he'd been cleared to exercise, but it wasn't that long ago. It was somewhat recent. And the idea was I was just, you know, kind of being a little bit, you know, better safe than sorry, right? Than pushing. And so after about a month, I was just like, there, he... Based on all of these data points, just so I was saying, he should be progressing. We should be lifting heavier right now on these machines. There's no doubt, regardless of his previous injuries, you know, we should be doing more. So I asked him and he's like, oh no, 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 no. These were heavy. Oh gosh, no. Okay, so I'm checking in. So then I was still hesitant. So I, I decided a little bit to um, just kind of test the waters. I'm like, well, let me just let me just see. We're just gonna go up a little bit. So I kind of, he's like, okay. So I go up a little bit and uh go up a little bit more and then a little bit more and he thinks we're still just warming up and uh so i asked him i was like how did you feel oh that's about like last week you know it's, it's challenging but not too bad but we were up 20 pounds and granted this is on a machine it's only one or two little plates up but we had gone up and he couldn't really physically tell the difference so his rpe data that he was giving me was not real he didn't really have anything to compare it to right so he was sweating and his heart rate was up. So he, he figured that that was a hard workout where I hadn't really described what intensity is to him. Uh, and he really didn't know how to describe that to me, how he was really feeling based on percentages. We were way below. So I should have been looking at that and saying, no, you definitely need to be lifting heavier. But again, I was going by visual and you know what he was telling me two out of the three said, don't push him. Um, but one of them said, we can go up. And finally, once I really kind of, you know, really 
worked on it in that session, we broke through and we both were on the same page, but it was taking some communication to really get us there. And so, you know, I tell the story because it's, it, you know, I was a young trainer. I didn't want to hurt him. I was a little scared. I, I, I will admit, but I was trying to go by what he was telling me and what I was seeing, but I was ignoring what I knew to be the case in terms of the, you know, the amount of weight he should be lifting. In other words, this weight should not have been that hard for him. It should not have been an RPE eight or nine. And was he in pain? No, he wasn't in pain. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't hurting him. It was just fatiguing to him, but he didn't really have much to compare it to. So now we had something to compare it to. So his RPEs were a little bit more accurate. Uh, we were staying on, on point with, uh, you know, percentages, you know, in terms of progression. And of course I could make sure his form looked good. So it's communication and it's using all of the data points, not just some of the data points, but all of your data points to make better decisions. So what should I have done in that situation? Probably a week or two sooner, I should have asked him to go up and wait a little bit. I should have pushed him a little bit sooner than I did. Now, in hindsight, that's probably the right error to make, you know, error on the side of caution, but at this, and it, and it didn't really hold us back that much. But the point is, if I had never really paid attention to the weights and just how he was feeling and just how he was looking, then, you know, I would have never, he, we would have never progressed, right? He would have never allowed himself to do more uh, because that was just more than what he was used to doing. So anyhow, Fun, fun little story there uh, that I think fits very well into what we've been talking about. All right, now our next, yay! Our next segment is our science segment of the day. Uh, now this one here, it's gonna ruffle some feathers today. Should you or should you not use lifting straps? Hmm. Well, it depends, right? As everything does. Uh, this particular article that, we're, that again, I'll, I'll link it in the description. Um, but in this article, uh, the, the authors were looking at whether using straps or not during a deadlift, and we're just talking about deadlifts here, um, whether it made a difference. And so they, they, they looked at a few different parameters. They looked at speed of the bar, um, so average velocity of the bar from the floor to the top position, peak velocity, like at how fast was it moving at its fastest, you know, regardless of where that was in the lift at the top or bottom. Uh, and then mean power and peak power, how much power using a force plate. I think they used a force plate. I have to reread that part. Uh, but using, you know, assessing force, uh, uh, peak force and max for or mean force throughout the, the lift. And what's a better way to determine whether or not we should use straps? So it should be said that whether they use straps or didn't use straps, everyone got stronger, or had positive results from the training, right? So it really didn't tell you much in terms of whether, whether they were you know, advantageous or not. What it did say was when it came to velocity, there was more consistency with what they saw when it came to velocity. So for example, if my goal as an athlete, okay, let's talk about athletes for a second, is to you know have more power and, and explosiveness and speed, um, then using straps would not be recommended 
it didn't show much uh, of a um, advantage, right? In just a set or two. Now, if you're noticing over multiple sets that the athlete is dropping the bar due to, you know, grip fatigue, and we still want to get the benefit through the legs and the posterior chain from that lift, then straps could be used and you want to use straps the way you would determine whether the straps would be best to use or not would be using a velocity. So looking at the velocities of each set. So if the first set, the average velocity of the five reps or so, or however many they were doing was consistent and then it starts to tail off in, in further sets. In other words, that would indicate that we're moving the bar a little slower. Maybe fatigue is setting in on the grip. Uh, we don't have a good, you know, we're not settled in. So they could then throw on the straps for any more sets that they have. If you're, if you are measuring velocity as, as they lift, we don't always have that kind of access, but you could watch, you can kind of eyeball is the bar moving? Well, if it's not, maybe straps are uh, okay at that point. So using uh, the mean power and peak power, th those were not as accurate in predicting whether they'd be successful with that set or not with or without straps. So at the end of the day, straps are not bad to have. It's not like you shouldn't have them or should never use them. It would be use them when you need, when you think fatigue is going to be an issue. So uh, at sub-maximal loads for strength and power, probably shouldn't use them. You're going to get more benefit without it unless you're doing multiple sets and you start to fatigue, uh, then you might add them in, uh, as a, as an aid in your ladder sets, but not necessarily all sets. Um, then on top of that, they kind of looked at, or well, in, in, in conjunction with all that, um, you know, straps being used for sports that, uh, you know, like say, uh, maximal weights or you know training at super maximal loads it didn't say this in the study but i i'm kind of expounding on what how i would interpret this or use this data is say in a sport like powerlifting or weightlifting where again the point of the sport is a 1rm uh when we're training heavy heavy loads or super maximal loads for the stimulus in the legs and and things like that then the use of straps i think would be uh, definitely appropriate. This study looked at sub-maximal loads for, for power and, and, and strength, so we're not using one rep maxes here in this study. So that might change things. Uh, so if you're doing heavy singles and multiple of them, especially if you're using you know really, really high loads, then yeah, straps are, are a high number of sets, then straps might be a, a good idea. But if you're staying within a, a moderate amount of sets and reps, uh, and you're training for speed and power, strength and power, but that is, then uh, straps are probably not, not, not needed, not needed. Okay, so I know it's somewhat inconclusive, but I'll link the study below. Feel free to read it. Um, and if you have any questions, let me know. Now, our last segment of the day is our motivational minute. And for our motivational minute today, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know, how, how are you as an individual coach, how are you staying, uh, motivated? How are you staying positive? How are you staying, you know, mindful of 
delivering your best as a coach, not delivering your best as your own personal, you know, person. Uh, but this could go whether you're a coach or not. How are you influencing others? How are you helping to put the best product out there that you can put out there, whether it be coaching or financial advising or, you know, if you're an artist or, you know, whatever. And, and, and a lot of it has to do, at least in my opinion, going back to making sure you're doing not just what you love, but finding a passion and having a purpose. We've talked about that before. Uh, we did a whole podcast on purpose before, but, but finding something that you truly get excited about each day. And so for, for me, what I really look forward to every day, I mentioned staying, staying, you know, avoiding burnout a few weeks ago is, is finding that one thing with each client that's unique to them and really focusing on that building programs around that. That makes it fun. That way I know I'm really helping them. I know I'm engaged mentally with that person's, you know, outcome. But at the same time, how do I just charge myself up and keep keep motivated? Well, you have to make sure that, again that you are doing, you know, what you want to be doing. And that means taking stock of where you are frequently. And those cuz those things can change. And if you get stuck in a rut and go through the motions, your clients aren't going to get better. You're going to feel worse about it and it could affect your overall business. So you have to listen to yourself. You have to understand and sit down and talk to yourself. Am I doing what I really want to be doing? Am I heading in the right direction? We go back to that three, five year plan that you've heard me talk about a million times. So these are the things that you have to keep into consideration and you have to keep at and keep working with and keep asking yourself so that you stay focused on where you're headed. All right. Have a good one and we'll see you the next episode.